Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with my editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. Jill, how's it going? Very good. How are you? I am doing well, and I'm excited to talk to you about fashion stuff, um, as we do every single week. Never gets old. Um, but we've <laughs> it sounded sarcastic. I mean that very genuinely. <laughs> it really doesn't. It really does not get old. It's very fun. Um, no, today we're going to talk about a couple of things. So the... the um, what is it called? The Global Fashion Summit in Copenhagen was this week, and there's some interesting stuff regarding regulation, uh, both from the EU and and the UN that came out of that that we'll talk about. Um, We'll talk about Skims planning to open its first permanent stores next year. And then finally, we're going to dig into some of the recent scrutiny of both Shein and Timu. And yes, we will talk about the Shein influencer trip, which is the most hilarious thing in the world to me. Let's start by talking about this uh, this global fashion summit in Copenhagen. There was a lot of fashion brands were there, a lot of government agencies were there, and a, and a lot of nonprofits all came together to talk about the ways in which the fashion industry is contributing to various environmental crises and how you know we can get out of it. Basically, um, I think. Jill, correct me if I'm wrong. Is Sophia there right now or she was there this week? Yeah, she's there. It's Wednesday. She moderated a panel today. I think it was for the first time. I am very jealous because, I mean, we've been reporting about this conference for a very long time and it seems sexy. Yeah, it does. It does seem sexy. And yeah, so at the time we're recording this, Sofia, um, our our international reporter, Sofia Zaglinska, is in Copenhagen moderating panels, talking to people. So I'm sure she will have some more insight from the uh, the summit when she's back. But in the meantime, there's been a couple interesting things that came out of it that I wanted to call out. Um, there was a, a really interesting interview with the EU's environment commissioner, who I think I'm going to pronounce his name right, uh, Virginius Sinkevichus who uh, I think that's how you say that. Um, he's the environment commissioner for the EU. He came out pretty strongly in an interview with Business of Fashion saying that Europe is underregulated when it comes to fashion, which I thought was interesting because the EU definitely has better regulations on this stuff than uh, other parts of the world, particularly the US. But it's interesting that he still kind of views it as there's there's more room for regulation. There's more, there's more work to be done there. Um, and I think, you know, other parts of the world can look to the EU as an example in that way. There was also some, uh, speaking of regulation, although not environmentally, um, the EU has this Digital Services Act that they implemented last year, and they were sued, the EU meaning, uh, were sued by Zalando, which is Europe's biggest online retailer this week, um, because the EU classified Zalando as a VLOP, which funnily to me stands for a very large online platform because Zalando has more than 45 million users. And uh, Zalando sued and said that they should not be lumped in with the other VLOPs, which is like Google and Microsoft and stuff, because part of that 45 million is retail customers, and and that shouldn't count for digital services stuff. And there's all sorts of restrictions and fines that come with being a VLOP. So it's interesting that you know Europe, I think, has a lot of regulations, and there definitely seems like there's going to be... Um, legal challenges and stuff. And if it's making the brands mad, then that means it's probably working. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's interesting that he said that there there's still more room for that. Um, would, Joe, we've talked about this on the podcast, like uh, how, you know, it's nice to have brands make these like non-binding promises of like, maybe we'll do this or we'll try to aim for this. But 
you know, it doesn't really move the needle until there's like actual penalties associated with it and stuff. Um, do you feel like there's more of that that you've seen recently? Or I don't know, what are your, what are your thoughts on what's coming out of Copenhagen? I really focused on this um, United Nations Environment Program playbook that came out, Sustainable Fashion yes. Communication Playbook, which again wasn't a legally binding document. <laughs> um, so recommendations for fashion to kind of clean up its act, I would say. Um, but like you, like to me, I think that, that it needs to come down to, which we'll get to with Shein and Timu, um, the like factories and brands responsibility in production. Like that's where a lot of work should be done in my opinion and, and can be done. There's a lot of work to do, a lot of progress to still be made um, and maybe regulation around the end consumer in terms of um, what can be discarded or how things can be discarded. And that's a lot of the the problem about apparel and waste and what's happening to it. And it's ending up in a landfill, um, which I mean, you can only get consumers to do so much. Um what on this, what I was focusing on specifically was it, it had a lot to do again, this playbook from UNEP um, had a lot to do with like marketing as opposed to like yeah. um, production. Like how to talk about it. Yeah. And it seemed like a stretch to be honest, which, um, you know, it's called fashion for fashion leaders to eradicate all messages, encouraging overconsumption. Well, like, what's overconsumption. It's kind of subjective, you know, and of course they're going to promote consumption because that's their business. We're not going to pull back on like, buy this now. So anyway, there are various elements which we can dig into. And I, I've really honed in on that because I thought it was, um, and maybe that's their thing, this, this, uh, program, this, um, who, who, what is it? Um, organization. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they they really hone in on marketing. Is that their thing? I'm not sure, but it was very much much about messaging. Yeah. I think it's just that the UN can't make as, you know, the EU is like a governing body where the UN isn't. So the, the UN can make recommendations, but it can't force people to do things the way that the EU can. But yeah, I, I was, I was reading about the, the UNEP, um, playbook for, for, marketing and communicating around this stuff. And I think it was meant, um, two things like as one to how to like basically teach people not to do greenwashing. And then the other is like, they mentioned in the the press release that I read about it, that it was meant to help brands comply with either existing regulations or potential regulations that may be coming. So it's sort of like the UN can't make those regulations, but if you are in a member of the EU and there are new regulations, the playbook is to kind of help you. How do we talk about what we're doing in a way that doesn't violate any of those greenwashing laws, whether they're in place or, or will be in place in the future? Um, the playbook also, I think, I thought was interesting because it also talked a little bit about encouraging like repair and resale and reuse and that kind of stuff. And definitely put that a lot of emphasis on that as a um, way to meet those regulations. and. Resale definitely to me, I think is, you know, we talk about it all the time and it's like an area that I focus on a lot, but I think it's because it's a way to reduce consumption while the brands can still like make money. And that's like the closest thing to a win-win we've got. And and so it's interesting that the UN kind of focused on it for that reason to me, you know, it's, it's a way that you can 
eradicate the messaging of overconsumption, like you said, but also it's like you can still buy stuff. So that's like the best of both worlds from the brand's perspective. Yeah. And I like with, um, you know, like you said about greenwashing, like I think the messaging was like to put science behind your claims, like back it up with data and and what we know is is true. Um, something else that was interesting in the UNEP's recommendations um, had to do with decoupling the fashion media, decoupling, quote, quote, decoupling identity from newness. Um, so like newness, there would be the whole, like it begged a question about what like fashion media, a large part of what they cover and what drives coverage for a couple of weeks at a time is like these fashion shows and these fashion events, which are all focused on what's new, what's coming next season, what's new now. Um, so what does that mean? And I, that's not going to halt anytime soon. So anyway, newness is inspiring. <laughs> newness is what drives purchases. I don't think there's likely going to be a change there, but good to think about. <laughs> it, it is. And, and I will say, I mean, you as an editor, you are often telling us the reporters not to just write a story that this brand has some new product or something that's like not always interesting. And, and it also kind of plays into that idea that like the only thing worth talking about is new stuff. Um, you know, so I think that because we don't cover every single show or every single collection from every brand, it's nice that we don't have to like, I feel like we don't go get into that trap naturally. You know, we, we cover when there's new strategies and stuff, but we are not just like covering, you know, anytime some brand puts out some new stuff. Um, <laughs> we are compliant. We, yeah, we are complying with all UN rules. Um, <laughs> let's talk about skims. So there was some reporting in, uh, I think it was Bloomberg that reported that next year K skims, which is Kim Kardashian's shapewear brand, um, is opening its first two permanent stores. I think first half of the year, there's going to be one in Los Angeles. And the second half of the year, there will be one in New York. Um, they've already done, I think, a, a couple of like brick and mortar pop-ups. I think they did Saks Fifth Avenue and Nordstrom. Um, but this is going to be their first like permanent stores. So this was interesting to me for a couple of reasons. But let's start with just talking about physical retail feels like there's a lot of interest there from brands. I was literally, again, we're recording this on Wednesday. I was just talking to Brian Murphy from Loeffler Randall today about why they're opening new stores. I Something that I've sensed from talking to people is it feels like it not it's not necessarily more or less expensive than online retail or that it's you know more effective or you're making more money it seems like it's more that physical retail is kind of straightforward where the strategies are clear and what to do to make it work like makes sense whereas it kind of feels like from some of the brands that I've talked to that digital especially digital marketing feels like nobody knows what's even happening anymore. Like the platforms could change some, they could make some tiny tweak behind the scenes and suddenly your whole strategy falls apart or like the platforms kind of don't even know what they're, you know, it just feels like the store is just, you pick a nice spot, you open a store, you make the store look nice and then people come in and buy stuff. It's like the, the strategy is clearer, even if it's not necessarily more or less effective. Do you get that sense from talking to people too, Joe? Yeah. And I, I mean, everybody, physical retail is coming back. Physical retail is coming back. It's true. People want to get out. Going shopping is doing something out of the house. Um, and somebody I was talking to today, um, an analyst, let me dig up her name because she was so smart. Um, but it was for my luxury briefing this week. Um, she said something to the, oh, 
Katie Thomas at, um, is it Kearney? Kearney? Um, anyway, the fact of the matter is, she's like, Basically, for a long time, for a couple of years now, um, brands have been been putting their efforts and their investment um, behind all of these digital things, whether it's e-commerce. There was the, you know, launch of a lot of these metaverse activations and gaming activations. And it's almost, she didn't say it in such a way where it was like, well, that's, that's all there is to do. It's like physical wasn't as, as an option and it, well, at the height of the pandemic and these things kind of bubbled up because it was something new in a way to flex your innovation or get in front of a new consumer. And it's like, that's no longer necessary. And it's like, let's go back to what is a surefire thing, stores, um, just like you said. The other thing to me is that Skims definitely feels like, maybe we've talked about this before, but definitely feels like a brand that has transcended being like a celebrity brand now. I kind of don't even think of it as like Kim Kardashian's brand anymore. It's just like Skims. It just exists out in the in the world. So um, it's cool that they're going to be opening stores. I also wonder where they'll go after LA and New York. Like LA and New York are obvious first choices, but I wonder where store number three will be. If it, if it's in the U.S., I could see it being in like Austin or Dallas, like one of those places, or maybe, I don't know, Miami or something. I, I don't know. It, it, did you read this, thinking, Danny? Because they did no. say that they are. <laughs> oh, did they? I, no, I, yeah. I really didn't. I didn't. What, what did Danny? they say? Danny? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, you're right I'm on the money. You're right on the money. Um, so at least four stores next year, starting with this store in L.A., um, and they said uh, it was reported domestic markets that attract regional tourism. So Dallas, Atlanta, Miami. After that, they're going to seek out some international flagships. Um, apparently, 20% of their online business is from um, abroad. So they, there's mention, I think it was with an interview with Jens Greed, co-founder, um, about Paris and Hong Kong as being potential locations. Um, but I mean, Jens so smart, has great experience with physical retail with um, Frame. And it was really some alignment. I don't know if anybody else pointed it out, but also this week it was announced that um, his other company, his wife, Emma Greed, um, Good American, she's co-founder of Good American, they also opened their first store um, in Los Angeles this week. And similar messaging about like the plans, like um, we are going to this is we're going to be ramping up the rollout of stores starting now um good american is opening two more stores in november in um let's see newport beach california and also um one in vegas um they're focusing more on domestic with because uh, even though 15 percent of their their business is international um they just talked about focusing on the states but um it seems like you said Physical retail, these hot brands are going there. It means something. And I'm with you. Spanx does not feel like the shapewear brand it once was. If you go on their site, no. it really like borrow. You can see elements of like Wolford with their like amazing like slinky tube dresses they're doing and Spanx and Commando and with their kind of neutral color athleisure, like I mean Yeezy. Like there are elements you can kind of see inspiration across the board. They're doing... They're doing good things. 
Yeah, we got to track Jens down and ask him about this. Um, yeah. But no, I genuinely, I, I didn't see what other markets they were talking about. And the reason I mentioned like Dallas or Miami is because, like I mentioned, I was talking to Brian from Loeffler Randall earlier, and they have a new store opening in Charleston, um, South Carolina. And we talked about how he, he was saying they look at sort of where there is interest, where there's demand, like regionally for the brand, and then try to pick a city that kind of covers a lot of that area so he was saying they have a lot of um customers in like from atlanta or nashville or fort worth or something and then charleston is like a destination where people from all of those places go so that's why i was thinking if you know if skims has a lot of audience in the south then dallas might be a place that would cover you know people traveling from florida or traveling from vegas or you know just like that that's why i thought of it um But yes, we will track Jens down and we were going to ask him about this. Um, Let's talk about our final topic, which is sort of just loosely, I lumped them together, Xi'an and Timu, both both large Chinese um, fast fashion companies, I would say, um, and both have been under a lot of scrutiny, I would you know, the last week uh, for a couple of different things. I mean, they've both been criticized for their environmental impact and um, potentially the use of forced labor. Um, Timu recently, there was a, I think they were accused by U.S. lawmakers of sort of skirting under uh, import tariffs because the the product is so cheap that it kind of, it doesn't meet the price requirement to be charged for the full tax amount or something, um, something like that. And, uh, Sheehan, meanwhile, had this influencer trip, which we will get to in a second. Um, the but I want to start with Timu because they are the the I think it was reported in Reuters today um, that they are looking to hire a U.S. compliance officer, um, someone who is their whole job would be to make sure that they don't run afoul of any sort of U.S. restrictions or or rules um, placed on them. I think this is probably a good thing to do for any international brand, but it definitely feels like. Uh, U.S. lawmakers are like eager to find a reason to censure some of these Chinese companies um, for political reasons. Not that that's an ex- you know not to defend them for whatever bad stuff they do, but it definitely feels like they're under more scrutiny than you know a brand from France or something. So that seems like a smart move for for me. Yeah. yeah, it seems like a, a tough position to have. I don't know who's applying for that job. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it's going to pay hugely, though, so maybe I should apply. Um, (laughs) So let's talk about the Shein influencer trip. Probably most people listening to this know about it already, but if you don't, um, basically Shein sponsored a number of American influencers to come tour a model factory in China. I think it was in Guangzhou. And um, they they showed off all the nice, ethical, clean things about Shein and how good they are and how they are, you know, really are not anything like what people say about them. And of course, the influencers completely ate it all up and were ooing and eyeing at everything. And then as, as soon as all the content was posted, they they and Sheehan were all like mercilessly mocked and criticized for what was very obviously sort of a whitewashing like trip through uh, a probably not representative piece of the Shein supply chain. So what were what were your thoughts on it, Jill? And I know we were talking about it a little bit in the glossy slack, um, but what do you think? I'm with everybody that it just, it seems so like cheap. I don't know, desperate. Like, I don't know that anybody would believe that ever. Like, it's just so wild. 
And I would I was asking the team in terms when we were um, debating about how what our angle what our angle would be because the news was already out, and I'm sure this is happening more than we know, and inf- getting influencers to um, convey a certain message that you want to get out there that is just to cover your own butt. <laughs> it may or may not be true, but. I mean, it's not the same thing, but, you know, after George Floyd, when every brand would try, influencers would tell us, like, it's weird that I'm in demand now, no brand ever, uh, black influencers or people of color, that no brand wanted to work with me now, and now they do, and it's kind of a way to say, like, oh, this isn't us, like, we're fine, and... Yeah, this is it's all it's, a, it's similar in the sense that it's sometimes very transparent when a brand is trying to just like cash in on some goodwill. Yeah, um, and and I sort of think like probably any brand that invited influencers to tour their factory to show off how well the workers are being treated is probably something to be sketchy <laughs> to like to be suspicious of, even if it wasn't Shein. Like, and this leads into a whole other thing. I was talking with. Liz on their our team and we were talking about this idea that like so many people get their information now not from the news or from journalists but from influencers and like content creators and that's like fine or whatever I don't do that but um my thought is that media and you know traditional media and newspapers and magazines have a million problems but at least there's some kind of rigor you know, and an influencer or a content creator just has nobody to answer to, no ethical board or, you know, if they're getting paid to come tour some company's factory and then report back about how nice it was, there's just, they can do that and they're they're not going to get fired or anything. There's no breach of ethics because there's no ethics involved in that it's job. It's wild. I'm with you. Right? Is that, is that in, like, That's is that okay wrong to of say. me to say? No, okay. that is okay to say. I was literally, I mean, it's, Again, related, but not exactly the same thing. I like to skim through my TikTok every once in a while throughout the day. This, this like, I don't know, what do you call him? Meathead, a big guy with muscles. <laughs> Sorry, I said that. Um, but That's like, okay. he was like creating a smoothie, a shake, something. And he, he, at the beginning, he he said something so random. And I was like, excuse me? And I had to go to comments because I was like, everybody had to call him out. He's like... You got to, you got to use real ingredients, whole ingredients. You're not using, don't use, if you want to have protein powder that tastes like, um, like ice cream. Okay. Don't have babies. It's okay by me. And I was like, don't have babies. And some people comments were like, I've had, I always have a protein shake and I've had five kids, no problems here. And it's just like random spewing like facts that like you, you're not a healthcare expert. First of all, I've never heard that in my life. (laughs) what and then and like just like the things that people hear because somebody said it on social media i'm sure somebody heard that and was like oh i better stop taking protein like it's just wild no that's a good point there's there's no fact checking there's no there's no anything and social media and 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 the like influencer economy i think one of the biggest issues to me is that there's just like it's just rife with uh, misinformation. And if I went on a tour of Sheehan's factory paid for by Sheehan and they flew me out there and I came back and filed a story to you, Jill, that was like, wow, Sheehan is really cool and nice and everything's good. Like I would be fired. You, I, that's so unethical. Um, and I'm, I'm like heartened that so many people saw through this trip, like instantly. Like, I think I'm glad that it was so obvious to people that it's like, 
completely untrustworthy and not even that it's like obviously Sheehan's bad but more just like this is not this is clearly not representative this is clearly like uh you know something that was very manufactured to give the nicest possible impression i'm glad that so many people saw through it but i think there's all sorts of other stuff that slips by um you know without any question like and, and a lot of times people say like you know, customers today can smell bullshit a mile away. And I really hope that's true, but I don't know if it always is. I feel like there's so much bullshit like to sniff through that even someone with a really good sense, you know, stuff slip. Like you said, if you watch a lot of TikToks, like people just say any random stuff and it just goes by so fast that it's like they don't have a editor. Like they don't have you, Jill, like checking and reading through and being like, um, do you have a source for this? Which you always do for our stories. And it's good that you do because then our stories are accurate. So anyway, yeah. that's like no. my whole tirade about journalism. But but I that's agree. what I was thinking of during this whole saga. I agree. And it's good that, like you said, this conversation's bubbling up because cheap, fast clothes, you're basically, I mean, what more do you expect? And the more that it, this Shein becomes popular, I mean, it's a sad thing. And I, I'm glad it came up because I was sharing with our team that like, it was just like a normal brand. It was almost treated like an aspirational brand again in a recent TikTok that I saw. And it was like a mom and daughter on the street. I, a lot of um, <laughs> accounts that I follow are just like people on the Upper East Side. And what are you wearing? Mm -hmm. Or people here, what are you wearing? And the guy stopped a mom and daughter and it was like, what are you wearing? And they looked really chic. And the mom was very proud. And she's like, and the daughter too, they were both wearing Shein and except mm -hmm. like they had on Gucci sneakers and like a Chanel bag yeah. with their Shein look. And it wasn't like, they weren't like, oh, fast fashion. Like, it was just like part of their look. Um, anyway, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's now yeah. fashionable. Um, whereas, you know, in, in our circles, when we talk about it, it's always with, oh, Lord. <laughs> like, this is not yeah. good. Like, it's always with that caveat. Another thing we've talked about a lot is just like, as much as we would love to say that fast fashion is like on the way out and people are being more thoughtful, I just like don't know if that's always true based on what we're seeing. Um, anyway, I think we're going long. Is there any other thoughts you have on Shein that you want to talk about before we wrap it up? No, I know we went off the deep end, but it was good, good stuff. If I do no, it so was myself. good. I'm, I'm glad we got the chance to talk about this. Bring Sophia back. She'll, she'll let you have it about Shein. Yeah, next week, maybe we'll have Sophia on and talk about her trip to Copenhagen. I think that's all the time we have this week. Thank you all for listening. And don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to this. That helps us out a lot. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you'll hear interviews with industry insiders every Wednesday and we can review episodes every Friday. Our next guest is the newer chief marketing officer at Away, Carla Dunham. So... Great episode. Check it out. Perfect. Well, thank you, Jill, for being here. And thanks for listening. <laughs>